talk about some interesting things today that don't seem to fit with the theme of Thanksgiving, but bear with me. I hope to bring it around full circle. Um, topic of today, we're going to go into Luke chapter 8. We're going to begin with uh, verse 22. 2020 has been an interesting year, and I think we've, we've talked about this enough, but at the same time, it's still going on. And it's continuing to be something that is challenging us as we've had recent you know, closures and uh, setbacks you know, this year. So as we continue on on our journey through 2020, and who knows how 2021 will be, there's just some things I'd like to have us consider. There is a storm brew. There's a storm in our lives, and every one of us is involved in that storm together. So we're going to read a little bit about a storm here in Luke 8. But before we get started, let's open with a quick prayer. Father God, we pray that uh, today as we study from the book of Luke, uh, as we seek your ways and listen to the words that you have given to your servant, Luke, that you would open our ears, open our minds to the message we are to receive as we are removed by two millennia from the author. I pray, Father, that you would Help us to understand how we are to live. Bless our lives as we continue to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's begin. Chapter 8, verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped. And there were, they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith, he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this who commands even the wind and the waters? And they obeyed him. There's going to be a couple stories. We're not going to stop here. We're going to go on to the next part, too. And they're going to seem a little disconnected. But just bear with me. They're connected. Jesus tells his disciples, let's cross to the other side. He doesn't say why. He just simply says, let's go across. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is an area that these people knew well. The, the disciples are comprised of at least four fishermen. And they fished on this lake or sea. Now, when they're going across, Jesus falls asleep. And the apostles of the disciples are rowing to get across to the other side when a squall arises. Now, a squall is something that comes up suddenly, and they're not prepared for it. They must have thought, okay, we're going to get across here, no problem. But this becomes a very sudden storm. And such a storm as to swamp them, and it doesn't say that they believed they were in danger. Luke says they were in great danger. They're requesting Jesus wake up. They're calling him, Master, Master, we're going to ground. They're convinced. And as they said, at least four of these men are experienced fishermen. They've been on this sea before. They've seen bad weather. They understand how to survive in this kind of a climate. This isn't new, but this is different. This is a storm that experienced fishermen are convinced they're going to drown. Now, when Jesus gets up, how it reads here is that he 
rebuked the wind and the raging waters. That's an interesting word, rebuke. You see that whenever we encounter demonic possession. In chapter 4 of Luke, in verse 35 and verse 41, it says he rebuked the demons. He even says when he was confronting the fever of uh, Peter's mother-in-law, in chapter 4, verse 39, that he rebuked it. Something that's being rebuked has to understand why it's being rebuked. There's something behind this storm. This is not just a storm. There's evil influences. There's two questions that arise as soon as the storm is calm. He says, where is your faith? That's the first question. Where is your faith? He doesn't say you have no faith. He asks, where has it gone? It's missing in action. At a time when faith is needed, at a time when it's most required, it's gone. They're still learning. They're still learning how to produce faith in the time of need. The second question has to be answered in order for that faith to grow. And the apostles say, who is this? Who is this? He commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey him. There's something startling about this. You see, it says that they were afraid. It didn't say they were afraid when they were prepared or getting ready to die or drown. It says when the calm came in and his words calmed the storm, now they're afraid. That's the first time we hear they're afraid. It's suggested that the calming of the storm may have frightened them more than the storm itself. In order for them to build their faith, they have to answer this question. Who is this? It's not so much what's his name, but who possesses the kind of power that can calm a storm? One that we were convinced can kill us. This leads us into the next section of Scripture. And I do not believe they're unrelated. Let's start in verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerizims, which is across, from the lake, uh, across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. Let's stop there for just a minute. A man runs out, and before he's introduced to Jesus, he knows who he is. He reaches the other side. We, we need some clarity here. He gets through a storm to the other side to be confronted by a man who's demon-possessed. He knows Jesus on sight, which has always been a funny scripture to me that he could just know this is not something the man possessed. He's getting this from a spiritual level, from the other side. And if we go over to Philippians, Chapter, chapter 2, verse 9. Paul is talking about 
uh, humility of Christ. And he concludes some of his remarks with, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This man did not know who Jesus was, but the demon did. And in fulfillment of what Paul said, every knee bowed. This man hits his knees and begs Jesus not to torture him. Let's continue on here. In verse 28 he said, and when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken the chains and had been driven by the demon into, soli the demon into solitary places. Let's stop there for a second. Tomb is not a clean place. This man was unclean. He was ritually unclean. He was shamed. He had no clothes. He was tormented, driven into places by the demon, solitary and alone. How the man got here doesn't seem to be relevant. Jesus doesn't ask that question. He just tells the demon to leave. How does a demon possess a man? We don't know. We just know that Jesus says leave. He was uncontrollable. In the book of Mark, it says that, that no one could stop him. No one was able to restrain him or subdue him. He would break the chains, and though he had a guard, they could not maintain him. They could not keep him controlled. He was uncontrollable. There's a right out of a horror movie. This is something that we can't conceive unless we lay our own eyes on. Now, the demon knows this is Jesus, Son of the Most High. And apparently, in ancient, uh, or in times of antiquity, knowing someone's name gave you power. So the demon is trying to leverage his power against him and say, hey, I know who you are. Don't torture me. It doesn't work. What does Jesus ask him? In verse 30, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Legion is, a, is an interesting word. If you look it up, in Roman times, it was 6,000. It was a cohort of 6,000 soldiers. This is Roman-occupied countries. This is an army. This is a demonic army inhabiting one most unfortunate man. And here's a little clue. In verse 32, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. Let's stop for just a second. Jews don't eat pigs. So Jews are not going to be 
farming. This was Gentile country. He was in an unclean country talking to a ritually unclean man with unclean beasts being herded, talking to unclean spirits. I have to wonder at this time if the disciples don't ask Jesus, why did we come here? What's the purpose for being here? Nothing here is clean. He asks him, what is your name? Legion. This is not the name of a man. This is the name of an army that occupied. It's the name of his captain. It's the name of his tormentor. They are the ones who recognize Jesus. Legion immediately knows they are outmatched. Let's continue on. Verse 30 says, Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons, demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. Now we have the lake again. Jesus shows mercy, apparently, to the demons who are unmerciful to the man. They never showed mercy. Yet he permitted their request. Fine. Go into the pigs, and they're gone. And the entire pigs, the entire herd, gone, drowned. It's unclear if they really did avoid the abyss or not, because the pigs were destroyed. That's not the point. But the source, that obstacle that was trying to prevent Jesus from getting to the other side, the lake that had the squall, that had the storm, is now the source of their demise. The demonic powers behind the storm trying to prevent Jesus from getting over there now were subdued by the Most High. They're in a country here where people don't know who he is. They didn't have the insight of Scripture, but the demons knew. James says they believe and they tremble. And we see that in this Scripture. Jesus permits them to go. He provides mercy. Now all this time, as we're seeing all this happen, Recognize there are two groups who are watching the disciples and the Gentiles. The herdsmen. I don't know what you would call a pig herder, but the pig herders, those who cared for the pigs, they saw all this happen. We don't hear how the disciples react to this, but we do hear what the pig herders do. They run into town, and let's read here. When those tending the pigs, this is verse 34, when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the, uh, and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man whom the demons had gone out of, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, 
and they were afraid. What happened whenever the disciples saw Jesus calm the storm? They were afraid. What happens when the townspeople, the Gentile people, see what happened to the demons? And they were afraid. Verse 36. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people in the region of the Gerasenes, I have a rough time pronouncing that word, Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Some people want to say that they left, they asked him to leave because of the loss of money, the pigs. Not what it says in Scripture. It says because they were overcome with fear. Fear in the storm trumps faith. Fear with the Gentile populace trumps faith. But there's one person in this story whose faith, whose faith trumps the fear. And that is the man sitting at Jesus' feet. You see, it says, so he got in the boat at their request and left. But before that happens, verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Number one, the man was requesting to go with Jesus. Faith trumps fear. If we go back to the beginning of, of uh, Luke, we go back to chapter 4, this is where Jesus pronounces his purpose. He stands up in the synagogue on a Saturday, on a Sabbath, and he reads from Isaiah. In chapter 4, starting in verse 18, he reads, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here is a man who's experiencing Jesus' purpose. He set the oppressed free. Wasn't enough, though. Jesus says, no, 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 you don't go with me. And usually when he's talking to a Jewish audience, he says, make sure you don't tell anybody about this. My time is not yet here. But not in this case. In this case, he says to the man, you return home. Be restored to your home. Where's he been living? Tombs. He's been living among the dead, isolated, naked, alone, tormented. Now he says, you return home. Go home. Go back to your town, to where you grew up, to the people who knew you, and tell them how much God has done for you. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's manifested in your life. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. 
Wait a second. He told you to tell you how much God had done for you. Not what did the disciples ask us in the first section? Who is this? This man has an insight they don't have. Who did this? Tell him how much God did for you so he went and tells them how much Jesus has done for you. What you see here is the commissioning of the first Gentile mission. Now think about this for a second. Everybody in that area knows this man. You don't not know who the naked guy in the tombs breaking chains and throwing people around him. He's uncontrollable. He's unclean. He's chained. Everybody knows, and we can't control him. And they recognized him when they came back as the man who had the demons but was now sitting whole at the feet of Jesus. Who better to proselytize, to go preach the gospel, than the man that they cannot deny was the demon-possessed man? He was demon-possessed. We know it. We've watched him all his life. We've seen this. We can't deny it. He is now missionary. He goes and he tells everybody how much Jesus has done for him. He is restored. In a story where faith and fear are at odds, we finally see that the outsider is the one whose faith constitutes. Luke takes a slant little different than the other apostles. He is, he is telling those outside of the Jewish nation that Jesus has come for all people. All people. We're going to repeat those words as Christmas approaches. I give you great news. Great joy, good news, all people. This is for all people. And he's starting in the Gentile nation with a demon-possessed man. He's been made whole. What does that mean for us? <laughs> Number one, I think, if you look at the story, you need to get on board with Jesus. When he asks you to get in the boat and go to the other side, don't ask why. You get in the boat. You get in the boat and you go. Serving, number two, can be dangerous. He never said there was going to be no danger or no discomfort or no fear involved in serving. He just said, go do it. Your faith leads to something. There will be resistance. Satan does not want us to get to the other side. He does not want us to find that person who has bound and chained. Number three, Jesus can calm the storms of your life. There was a storm brewing as they crossed the Sea of Galilee. There was a storm brewing when he arrived on the other side. What we didn't read is they don't talk about the trip back across the Sea of Galilee because it was uneventful. There was no resistance. The resistance had fled. He 
can calm the storms in your life. Number four, we are participants with Jesus in his mission. Just like that Gennesarene demoniac, we have been called from our place of brokenness, from our chains, from wherever we have come that has been not right with God to do that mission. Greg has said numerous times, every member on mission, every moment. That's the same idea. Every one of us participating with Jesus Christ in his mission. We are to create that in place, that Wi-Fi hotspot that Thomas has talked about, to allow a bridge between us, between man and God. We are participants with him. And finally, what I would close with today is not so much a point, but just a comment, and something that as I pondered these scriptures and thought about them, that I found that for those of us who are caught up in the storms of life, Jesus is the calm. But for the powers of hell, he is the storm.